Thank you for listening to the Cloverleaf Radio Network, where you can find shows such as The Hollywood Connection, Cloverleaf Radio, Night Moves Radio, and Soul Stories. You can find us on Facebook under the Cloverleaf Radio Network. We broadcast on Anchor, Blog Talk Radio, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and many more. Tune in anytime during the week. We post our links. You can listen on your own time, on your own day, anytime you want. We provide you with new material every week. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. The night has come. A pale moon shines below, and the stars are twinkling lights. It must be time for Night Moves Radio. We'll be moving to the groovy music, getting lost in the words, and the entranced by timeless art. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in. We're glad that you've come to listen. for tuning in to another episode of Night Moves Radio. On this episode, our co-host Joshua Annis will be interviewing author Stephen Shrewsbury. He lives and works in rural Illinois. Actually, over 360 of his short stories have appeared in print or electronic media, and he's written over 100 poems. Some of his books include Overkill, Sprawl, Bedlam Unleashed, and some historical fantasies, such as God Forsaken, and he's also written some extreme horror, Hog, Tormentors, and some Stronger Than Death. He also has done some horror westerns, Hell, Billy, and Bad Magic, and then forthcoming Last Man Screaming. He also loves books, British TV, guns, movies, politics, sports, and hanging out with his sons. I believe that Joshua and Stephen had a really great time with this interview, and you will enjoy listening to it. Thank you for tuning in. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Stephen. Oh, well, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um... Now you are a uh, a sword and sorcery uh, author. I understand in in the vein of uh, Robert E. Howard and Carl Edward Wagner. Is that correct? That's what I hear. Yeah, I <laughs> that's what you hear. That's what. Well, it's kind of what I, I've always gravitated towards because it's it's what I liked growing up. And uh, the more I've read of other folks, I still go back to the old stuff. And they had a great way of telling stories. And that's just I'm kind of a basic guy that way. It's more hardcore and more real to me when did you decide that you uh when did you become inspired to write well i was very little and uh, i was always making up stories when i was a little boy i was always rewriting bible stories until i found out i could go to hell for that <laughs> so i um, they, they told me not to do that and i was always refighting battles in my sandbox and whatnot and 
<laughs> so I, I was always, uh, I watched uh, Night Gallery when I was probably four or five with my brother Mark, and that wasn't a very good, <laughs> that was probably, <laughs> that's probably what started it for me, but also when Mark went to Germany to the army in the mid-70s, he left a bunch of paperback books, and they were Howard's old you know, beat-up stuff that was really early, and it was some of the first stuff I ever read when I got a little older was his old books of Howard. It was Solomon Kane as well as Conan and other things. And he always had great taste in music, you know, like Black Sabbath and mm-hmm. stuff that I was trying to cash and and it was, you know, the old Howard stuff. And it was just, it just spoke to me always. And right. I always told stories that way and I always um, that and I read Harlan Elson and I was like, wow, that was a different way of telling stories as well. So and the, and the irony of those old shows like Twilight Zone and whatnot, that it shows up in whatever I write. There's a big ironic twist and but it's a very hardcore, basic thing. You know, right. Basic storytelling. And I, it just—it spoke to me, and I have a lot in common with Howard in his life. I'll get to that later, if you ever want to hear about. Oh, it. really? That—that—that that, that is interesting. I—I—I—I I, uh, I, I recently read. Um, I don't know if you read the biography of Howard that was recently released by. Um, oh, uh, D- Dave David uh, C. Smith. Did you read that? Yeah, that was that was good. Yeah, tell tell me. Go ahead and tell me a bit about your uh, comparison to. Well, the running gag is I, I'm I have an old German Lutheran growing mm-hmm. up, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I do not believe in reincarnation. But there are so many creepy things about me and him, Howard, that are just absolutely. I, I, this the strong controlling mother. Uh, my mother, his mother, was named Hester. Mine was named Esther. There's. Uh, True loves for school teachers. It's just there's a bizarre. I could go on and on about the uh-huh. bizarre things that are similar. If you've ever seen the movie The Whole Wide World, I have. Um, I have. People that people that have seen that and know me will weep that the fact that we're so much alike. Now I know Vince D'Onofrio did not know Robert E. Howard, but it's a great. It's you know based on novel and Price's uh, biography or uh, a diary that you kept about him. Uh-huh. So his personality and mine are similar. There's, there's a great deal different, of course. But, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a real there's a real aspect that's downright uh, almost sinister at times, and there's times when it just I'll, I find out new things all the time when I dig into his background and backgrounds of my family and things. It's just like, wow, there's this creepy thing. And, what would you mean by sinister? It's like I can almost hear him. Really, it's a, it's a, it's a, well, there's there's a real dark passion in him. Mm-hmm. It's a real dark sadness, and I totally hear it. Mm-hmm. I totally hear it, and I understand it. And in some of my stuff, there's, a, how can I say it? In the Conan, you know, knockoffs and stuff people write, it just doesn't have that bleak, screw it, we're gonna die tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know how much I can swear on here. I'm gonna try not to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's the screw it, you know. It's, yeah. And and he ends up with nothing sometimes at the end of it. And it's like, screw it, there's no tomorrow. I'm going to put my balls on the line and this is the end. Right. And I have that. I can totally see it. And a lot of the stuff I write will have this, the hell with it. Let's let's just go. And right. It isn't just because of Howard. It's just that that's how I, that's, I don't know. There's a that's real, what there's comes, a connection there. That's what comes yeah. from your, your character. I mean, that well, just... It comes naturally, and, and, and Wagner, who wasn't the most happy guy in the world, but he told a lot of great stories as well. I mean, he had a more of a 
ferocious way of saying things in ways, and I loved his stories as well. Wow, his horror stories and everything. Yeah, I oh, think... He told incredible horror stories as well, not just the Conan stuff. I, sorcery, I'm telling you, wow. If, you, if you've never read his horror stories... You know, Who, you know, Howard's? Or, oh, Howard's are incredible. Oh, well, yeah. either one. Yeah, well, I have... I have uh, I have his collected horror stories. I haven't read all of them yet, but I've I've read I've read some of them. And the favorite one I've read so far is uh, probably uh, Wolf's Head. That's good. That's that's a good story. The I recommend the Pigeons from Hell. Yeah, the I've heard that's the best one. Oh, the, the image of that woman coming down the stairs with the axe and no head. Oh, <laughs> awesome. I mean, it's just. I mean, I, mean, I was I remember being little and reading that. I was like, God, you, know, you don't think you can be scared by anything. <laughs> It just gives you the freaking creeps, and it's 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 some it's just the the images in your head is just incredible. And he's not a complex writer. Uh -huh. He writes from his guts. Yeah. And he wrote very basic. And if you pick it up and read it, it reads pretty modern. Now, he doesn't have a political correct bone in his body, that, which is also what gives a lot of people pause about Howard. Me, but, I you know, I don't mind that at all. Like <laughs> I like a straightforward dude like that. I like. And it's people, he's not perfect, and who is? No, he's you know, not. Right? Like, we all have our ways of sure. looking at things. And and, and, and and you could have a whole debate about his, you know, the way he was raised and everything, about, or yeah. just about his time. But, I I um, mean, the but, same. it's the same thing with Lovecraft. I mean, all day oh, sure. you can go on about how he was raised, you know, and everything. But but yeah. the, these authors, their they're works, I mean, they're, they're, they're incredible. And so I don't oh. really care... I don't really give two craps about like what political you know right. affiliation they have. Just they're there's you can say you can say that about Jack London for God's sakes. They, yeah, I mean there's all <laughs> kinds of older writers that was and Lovecraft could make you feel like you run a microscope slide. Yeah, the universe is way out here. I mean, find a writer now that does that. There's yeah, not a lot of good guys who do it. And probably, know, prob what, probably the closest one is that Ramsey Campbell, from what I've heard. Lot. I've met Campbell, yeah. He's, I mean, he was a. He, it's good stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's cool that you met Campbell. I'm, I'm very jealous. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was, um, it was, I think he heard me read once and was like <laughs> blown away by the standing in the doorway, but it was, it was kind of funny. <laughs> so, so let's go on to, uh, your works. Um, we've talked about your inspirations. Um, now, uh, the main series that you've done uh, is uh, about a fellow named uh, Garias Legal. Yes. And uh, tell, tell me a bit about him. Well, he's a 700-year-old mercenary um, mm -hmm. in the time before the flood. Now, when I say 700 years old, I mean he's like late 50s, early 60s, our way of thinking. Right. He lives longer for the way he is. And he's, how could I say this? Somebody said when they read him, they can see... John Wayne, Sam Elliott, Johnny Cash kind of all crashed together with a fantasy hero. And he's a he's an old, tough guy, and he's a hard drinker, and he's a hard fighter, and he's a very jaded man. He lives so long, and he has a dragon skin armor come from a wormling dragon with the baby dragon. And you see how he got that in the book in the Lord of Swords. But um, and his, and he's a real, I don't know how to say it, he's a very downcast guy very funny guy. Mm -hmm. He's a very, I mean, my dark, I have a dark sense of humor, as you can tell probably when you get to talk to me a little bit. <laughs> but it's, um, his, his way of being is, 
aside from the violence and all the, you know, demonic things and everything he encounters, he has this dark, I have a dark humor that tempers it. That's in anything I write, I think. Kind of like the sense of humor you find in the Fawford and the Grey Master stories. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, I love those. I love Lieber as well. Yeah. Oh, God, God, yes. It's, <laughs> it's not, it's, you, you can't almost make it too overcat, I mean, overbearingly dark. Uh-huh. I mean, you if you want to go that way, that's your thing. Yeah. I don't care. God bless you. But, <laughs> I mean, it's... But there's there's always a little bit of a hilarious jab there. It's something that's so dramatic, so horrible, you see, and it's like it's like halfway... I don't mean to make a joke every time, but it's like... They have it lightens it up just a little bit as it goes, and you can carry on and give something to hold on to as you go. Well, and even... I don't, like, I don't do that consciously. It just happens as I write. Well, I I found that sometimes I I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but like like in watching horror movies, like sometimes the stuff is that's supposed to be the most horrible situation and or or the most frightening. Like there's something a little hilarious about it. I don't know what it is. There was a Mike Barker story. I can't remember which one of the books of blood. When these guys, and it was about all these people rising from the dead, and one of them fell and stumbled and busted their jaw. They <laughs> held him, him up, and he said, "What would what would resurrection be without a few laughs?" <laughs> and I just I remember that as kind of a little bit of a gag. You're in the middle of all this horrific things and murders and horrific shit happening. In the middle of that, he was like, "Wow, that was kind of funny." <laughs> but I mean, I don't intentionally set out to do that. As um, there's a scene in something of Gryas that hasn't been released yet. It's called uh-huh. Reckoning Day. And he's hauling uh, Thinnis, his, his friend, across this ice. And the ice in this river is breaking. Part mm. of the army's fallen in the ice. And he's got him under, you know, he's dragging him across the ice. And he's injured and can't get up. And he says something about, and, he, and the general's delirious. And he, Gryas just keeps telling him to shut up. And he says, he says, he says, what, what, have we got out of this yet, dumbass? And he's like, you know, fuck off. He goes, have I fucked off this mortal coil yet? And he's like, shut the fuck up. You know, why the hell am I saving your ass again? You know, it's as as everything's dying around him, these old friends are just you're, they're just giving each other crap as they're trying to get to the edge of the river. And it's just a little bit of, you know, it's like in the middle of all this crap. And and as these some of these guys are dying, they remember hearing that Gryas was such a hero and he says, you know, where is he to save us? And he says, I thought you were a hero. And as he's saving just his friend and not the other soldiers, he's thinking, yeah, I've heard that too, that I'm a hero. <laughs> you know, he's just like, you know, it's just like, well, that's how it goes, guys. You know, you're fucked, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's not the nicest thing in the world, but it's it's a very real, and he's not a, you know, like I said, he's not a pleasant guy, but he's he's real. So. Now, now, just from what you've told me about him, he kind of reminds me in a way of a, Hard-bitten version of uh, David Gimmel's Dress the Legend. Mm, yeah, I like I like Gimmel. Gimmel was a regular dude, too. I, yeah. I, I liked him a lot. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things came about in the formation of Darius, and a lot of people will ask me how I came up with him. And, uh, well, the when I wrote the book God Forsaken, the spear of Lucan, of, of Lucan, or the, the god... Um, Lou of the Shining Spear, that's a Celtic god. Yeah, I know his, about Lou, yeah. His, his magical spear is named Darius. Oh, okay. And, and that is why he ended up getting the name. 
Now, people say, Le Gaulle, is that France? I go, nah, it just rolled off my tongue, right? <laughs> and after um, several drink bouts with my brother Mark back in the day, and we were listening to bluegrass music of Bazaar, you know, like Ralph Stanley, stuff they don't play on the radio. Uh-huh. And there's these old ballads, and I, between that and reading some of that, and he just kind of stepped forward. Yeah. And it was the most peculiar thing. There's an old ancient song about called the Ballad of Matthew Grove, and I made it almost that it was his, that was Darius's wife that was cheating on him, but he ends up killing. And I, I just, this the whole thing, just like, wow, I can see that guy. Yeah. And it was just bizarre that it came out that way, and that's kind of where he came from. Well, as a writer myself, I, I know that, uh, and, and my girlfriend is a writer too, like, uh, characters, and I'm sure you know this, characters take on a life of their own, and... Oh, sure. And it's like, it's like, okay, you know, you're no longer running the show. You may be writing it, but it's my story, you know, kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, my, in my horror westerns that I write, um, Joel, Joel Stewart is based on my ancestor, Joel Shrewsbury, that rode with uh, Bloody Bill Anderson and whatnot. He had one arm. Even in the war, he didn't lose his arm in the war. He lost it before. Uh-huh. And he's, and I love to write in him first person, and it's just like I'm dictating it. Wow. And some people who've heard me read at conventions as Joel, it's like I drop into this really cracker-ass way of speaking. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hilarious, violent, and weird. And <laughs> it's, it's just fun to write. And I write him from the ages of when he was younger to even, I have a book submitted now where he's 94 years old uh-huh. in the 30s. My father met him uh, in the early 30s. My father huh. was very older when I was born. I was born to a guy... Family that was I was a menopause baby and uh, a menopause and, baby. <laughs> well, my dad was about forty eight, and mom was forty, and she mm-hmm. was going in for a hysterectomy, and they said we need to do another test. Mm-hmm. And uh, there I was, and uh, so <laughs> I kind of I have a brother twenty years older than I am, and I'm I come along kind of late, and I have the only when I was growing up I had the only dad that's in World War Two, and interesting you know long family line of ours stretches back beyond the Revolutionary War, and I know from generation where we all come from. Mm. And uh, so Joel is based roughly on one of my ancestors. And uh, to think that my father sat with this one-armed guy in the 30s and talked to him and heard stories, and I wished I would have known more. Oh, yeah. I mean, I kind of make up a false history about him, and sometimes I find a little bit about him, and it's creepy that he was where I, I'm saying he was. I'm like, wow, that's... Stuff. Well, like, I it's almost like I'm thinking about it. I don't, I don't, I don't find it to be messed up at all. I'm kind of a spiritual person. I, I seem to think there's a driving force beyond the sure. behind all of this stuff, you know. Of course. Without was, going back to Howard, Howard called that. Now he didn't know anything about DNA, mm-hmm. you know, he, but he, but he called it racial memory. Yes, I know. We are, yeah, we are back to cavemen to now. We're a little bit a piece of that person. Yeah, and he would he would uh, he had a character that time traveled in that person's you know, gene pool, like went back back you know, back in time, mm. and it's bizarre. It's like I'm picking up something from him. I don't want to think I'm silly channeling it, but boy, when I write about him, it's easy. Oh yeah, well I I'm just, like, I'm just telling the story. <laughs> I I absolutely um, I absolutely like I I wouldn't think you were nutty if you believed that you were a reincarnation of Howard. I mean I I. I completely believe in that stuff, like, you know? There's certain, there's certain aspects of our personality that are very similar, and it's almost, 
it's almost disturbing. Yeah. Times. I mean, I could I could really write a big old essay and carry on about it. And there's times I don't like to think about it. There's times that it's it, it's times it's cool. And there's times he feels really warm and close. Well, let me and, ask you. Let me ask you right. th- this. I mean, do you have any uh, memories that are not from this life that you don't that you that seem that they would be from the uh, 1930s or 1920s when he grew up? Well, well, that's the thing is I think I see things that aren't you know that aren't my memories. And there's mm-hmm. things about that, and there's things in Texas. I'll see a picture of him that I've never seen before, mm-hmm. and I'll see the background, and it absolutely makes my skin crawl. Like there's <laughs> something, there's something there, and I don't quite grasp what it is. And yeah, there's a there's a strange thing of where his family came from where his grandmother and stuff come from a place in Arkansas where the same place where my one-armed ancestor had spent time there. And I oh. always wonder if there's some freaking bloodline there somewhere. People say, oh, maybe you're some connection. I go, nah, there's no connection there at all. Because <laughs> they grew up in, you know, Texas and stuff. Then I find out there's some distant thing there, and I'm like, eh. So I don't, I don't know. And I don't know if there's any validity to that. Because Joel certainly spread his seed around the freaking Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> from what I understand about Joel, so um, uh, but you know that's just life, and that was yeah. the time they lived in. And I don't know if it's uh, my friend Chris Fulbright, writer from Texas, said just be careful; it's not obsession, yeah, and, and not possession. He said you're just you'd be careful what you're thinking about. So yeah, this has always been a good, you know, keep trying to keep me sane for the last twenty some years. Or so. Oh yeah, I mean. He's a good fellow, and I, and I get it. Where some people can just be so obsessed with something, they can make it want to make it a reality. But yeah, I always try to keep it cool, and I'm a regular dude as far as that goes. Yeah, boy, it's it gets it gets silly sometimes when I think about it. (laughs) I bet. Now, um, I'm also so interested in talking to you a bit about you released a book. It looks like um, about Goliath called uh, Philistine. Yes, I did. That's one. That's that's probably my favorite book I've ever written. Mm-hmm. I wrote it with not with the intention of it. Uh, when I first conceived of it, I didn't even figure it'd ever get published, and it was mm-hmm. so. I wrote it balls out, thinking this is just going to be the story I want to tell. And it was a longer book than I usually write, like one hundred thirty thousand words. I usually mm-hmm. make them about you know seventy, eighty, ninety thousand. You know, they're usually pretty tight. But the Goliath book, the Philistine, it just kept. It, it was a. I said a story of Goliath because. It was, you know, in the Bible it says he was a man of war since his youth. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the David story whatsoever. Mm-hmm. This is all him. It's a big, hardcore fantasy story before that ever happened. It's, mm-hmm. I immersed myself in all books I could find about the Philistines. Mm-hmm. I, I kept no, no Googling. I went from the library and got these ancient archaeological books from the 70s, and I was stunned to find out how little information there was about the Philistines. Yeah, and it was, but he was this massive character, and I made him this giant anti-hero. Mm-hmm. It was, but think about how bored that guy would have been <laughs> if you would have come out and said, "Look, just bring out your toughest guy, and I'll kill him, and we'll just get this over with." Think the balls it took to be that guy, <laughs> and to write a and to write a character that broad or that big and that big and you know, almost narcissistic, terrible, and he, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had fun with the other um, with the aspects of the Philistine culture, all the gods that they worshipped, you know, Dagon and Moloch and whatnot. And I made them basically the little warring Protestant factions 
they all kind of they were all kind of bitchy on each other. And, yeah. Um, and the in the well, the politics of the time and stuff, and it was and the Egyptians and the stuff they did for the Egyptians. It was just great to immerse myself in that culture. Yeah. And that you also got to realize this is a culture not based on Judeo-Christian things whatsoever. Right. And there's a there's a sequence in there. Well, there's a young priest of Dagon, and they get this representation of Dagon from a risen city, and they're just having bad luck, bad weather, and they can't get rid of it. So this this representation is like the squid creature. You mm-hmm. know, I'm thinking seafood. So they decide, screw it, we're going to eat him. So the Philistine soldiers try to, you know, they end up killing this Dagon thing and eat him, and then the storm don't stop. This all takes place in like a paragraph. The end of this big chapter <laughs> goes, goes. So then they killed the priest of Dagon and ate him, and the storm stopped. <laughs> and I made the implication they were cannibals too, and it just didn't. It was just like they got no morals about it. They're like, screw it, we're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, and his, and his. Yeah, I also made Goliath a almost likable character to a degree, even though he was what I said, the overbearing, you know, almost godlike, boring person. He was like Thor in the fact that he could, you know, he was he could screw up. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the legends of Thor, he was like. He would make mistakes, and you had to like, you know, he's yeah. the likable guy. And uh, also, the funniest thing was, as you, you kept mentioning, uh, Goliath's mother, and she makes an appearance in the book. And the one person he bows to and respects is his mom. Mm-hmm. Strange thing, be powerful men and their mothers. And in my mind, she's Judy Dench. <laughs> Judy <You> know, Dench. <laughs> bigger than bigger than hell. And so basically, basically, he goes up and. And he says something about, you know, how he met the Pharaoh and he you know, left him alive. And he said that. She goes like, that was stupid of you. <laughs> you know, she just, she will give him shit and he will take it up on no one else. And at the end, there's this, at the end of that chapter, there's this tender moment where he lays his head down. And, she, you know, he's this huge creature. And she just like pets his head, my only, my last son. She goes, now go on and do what I told you to do. I have time for my nap. <laughs> and so- she's, almost, she's almost like this merry creature they venerate. And so, it's, yeah. so then she she's she's a nephilim too, like him. She's a giant then. No, she's she's just a regular woman. So oh, his, his 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 father was like a seraphim, is the gag in the story. Oh, okay. And and then you know just, he's descended like from an angel and that. Yeah. And he and he's like this nephilim creature. Uh-huh. The gag of it is, is you discover that a woman during that course of that book wants to get up. Keisha wants to be pregnant by him and have his child uh-huh. and be venerated like his mother. Well, another Nephilim like him lives up on the mountain where Moses' body is in. I know this is a, big, this is a complicated book. But uh, <laughs> and he's trying to breed like his own race, like a cult. Uh-huh. They discover, though, that when they breed the next generation, they don't get another giant. You get something worse. You oh. Get like a little, like, almost like the gray alien thing. It's not, like a, <laughs> it's not what you think. Uh-huh. So Akisha getting pregnant by how does he? Goliath has so many awesome lines in the book. He says just because she has an ass like a wash tub and could actually take me, do you think I'm falling in love with her? Come on. <laughs> I mean, just you know, just figure a guy's nine foot tall. I never say exactly how he is, big he is, uh-huh. but he's obviously. And um, I had fun with his shield bearer, who's mentioned briefly in the Bible. I called mm-hmm. him Abimelech. I'd like to, I will write a book about Abimelech someday called Shield Bearer. Cool. Carried on after Goliath died. Um, the fact that when they get back to the, the land after they went to Egypt, when he goes and starts killing people off, Abimelech is almost like Lucabratzi and 
Godfather, he's like knocking people off. I mean, <laughs> like, this like the end of Godfather where everybody's dying. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I think I'd watched a lot of Godfather and read a lot of Mario Puzo when I was writing that. It was, it's a little fun I had at the time. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just, you don't know where stuff comes from sometimes. But it's, yeah. It is my favorite book I've ever written, uh, it's Philistine. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. It's not for the squeamish. Yeah. It's, it's not a, like a Bible story at all. It's, yeah. He's, he's pretty rough. He's a rough character. Well, even the Bible has some pretty rough stuff. If oh, you, sure. <laughs> if you look in the Old <laughs> Testament, I mean, you have, you have women uh, driving tent pegs through people's heads and. Oh, sure. <laughs> Godforsaken novel, the first one I had submitted, somebody had given me crap about on the scene. Uh, the opening scene is the Battle at Angelusi with the Celts and the Romans. And there's a scene where time stops. And uh -huh. this goddess practically rapes this Celtic warrior. Uh -huh. She straddles him up. And this guy says, I don't know about a scene with sex and violence. <laughs> sex and violence beside each other. And I wrote the editor back and I said, what, like in the Bible or something? Yeah. Come on. I mean, it's not... And believe me, I'm a big loader. I'm, not, I'm never going to put the Bible down. I mean, I'm a good, I'm, like I said, good Lutheran boy. Or yeah. Or at least, kind of. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, but man, it's like, come on, man. I mean, look at Game of Thrones. You're giving me crap about this. <laughs> yeah. Like anybody was inbred or nothing. <laughs> so. so, 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 um, the, 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 your main series, though, takes place in, it's a historical Fantasy that takes place in this world too, like Goliath. Right. Yeah. Well, the, like I said, the stuff with uh, Goliath the Gaul takes place before the flood because there's there's the rumor the world's going to end. Uh -huh. They keep talking about it, and as Goliath says, I wish they, I wish the Lord fucking hurry up. <laughs> I wish I wish you get it over with. And uh, the King of the Bastards, also that I wrote with Brian Keane, then the Curse and, and the that's the new book I talked about yet. Um, that those books take place before the flood as well. Now, now, now take, so, talk a bit about that, if you would, because I've heard of Brian Keene. I've heard he's a big name in, in the horror genre. And, oh, yeah. And, and, yeah, go ahead and, and talk but a bit. But me and him met years ago, probably because he lived in Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, was the gag there <laughs> uh, before the turn of the century. And, like, we got talking at different times, and he was the editor at Horrifying uh, at the time. And we had stories, I had stories there I submitted. And uh, this is, like, century, I guess, and uh, we were Howard fans, big mm -hmm. Howard fans, both, and we both were like saying, ah, this modern fantasy, we didn't like a lot of stuff, so we always wanted to write just like an old-time sword sorcery book, and mm -hmm. um, the book that eventually came out, King of the Bastards, and the uh, sequel, it's, you know, the, the Throne of the Bastards that came after it is a lot, it's its aging barbarian king who's up to abdicated coming back to get his throne and he's left children all over and he's and he's just this nasty old man and he's we still got a few miles left on him but, uh there'll be a book coming out from that series this summer called curse of the bastards that takes place in the land of god and all kinds of fun stuff <laughs> but um but it's but it also one of the punchlines of that is they come across this religious maniac who ends up one of his daughters ends up married off to her him and it's Japa from the Bible. It's one of Noah's sons. Oh, okay, it's yeah. Like this little bit of a wake, wake, nudge, nudge punchline. You know, <laughs> that, that, that that the world is going to end within a few, I mean, a few you know, century or so here. And it's we're going against time there. Yeah. But he's had a long, long life, and I'm going to. Ex 
explore his youth more um, with something. And I had wrote Brian recently and said, oh, geez, I, I, I hit the wall on all these stories I'm writing and stuff. And I said, hey, we're going to have a real good story you wanted to tell. And he said, well, what about how the giants and the earth in them days disappeared? How the hell did that happen? <laughs> and I've got this entire book called Killer of Giants now when Rogan is younger than I'm writing. So, so it's just, sometimes <laughs> you just say the right phrase to me, I hear the right thing. Yeah. And I, I'll, it just falls out. So Yeah. Um, and I, I wrote it and said, you're a son of a bitch for making me <laughs> think about this, and I should be thinking about other things. He's just like, well, my work here's done, you know. It's, he, he's a good fella, and I can't I can't give him any crap about that. So Yeah. That's a lot, that's a lot of fun, and. I'll see him this summer. It scares the care. So, <laughs> yeah. Convention of Virginia. So. Yeah. Cool. Um. Uh. Well. Uh, as as an author, um, what would you say has been the most rewarding, uh, thing, uh, as an author, for you? Well, when I was a little boy, I always wanted to see. I mean, you always dream about crap when you're a kid, you know, because <laughs> you're a kid. But this is back before the internet and everything, and uh, when I read lots of books, and I just read and read, you know, watched Alfred Hitchcock late at night, and stuff like that, and read comics and stuff, and I always wanted the hardback book with my name on it, in gold. Mm-hmm. My boy, that just was something. And I never will never forget getting the first copy of Thrall, the Glorious Nagal novel, in hardback, and pulling that dust jacket off of it, Tracing my name in gold on the it was just pops up my mind. Wow. And I've had different books in hardback. I've had, you know, that and overkill and both the bastard novels were in hardback and each of my horror westerns are. And it's almost gets to the point of now it's like, well, that's that's your childhood fantasy over and over again. And I was like, Okay, where's the next book? <laughs> you know, it's it's a bizarre thing to say, but that and um there's a young fella I believe he's from Alabama, named Dean Harrison. I don't want to embarrass him too much. He came to two years ago to um, Imaginarium in Louisville. He brought a stack of my books, and I had a, he wanted me to sign them. Everything that I'd written in my life, pretty much all the all the doctors, a dozen novels there. Mm-hmm. And I and it was just awesome. Just I'd met him in context years before, like ten eight years ago. Maybe. Yeah, and he was, and I didn't. I do remember him because there's pictures of me with him. Him and his wife came. Um, I recognized him, and I'm a pretty good sized fella. See my pictures, and he's. A, I mean, I was like, I was amazed that he had all that books, and I was just absolutely floored. And wow, meeting somebody who's read your stuff and enjoys it and gets it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I come into, I come into contact with people like that. I mean, not like as much as Dean having that many books come up, but. People that read your stuff and understand your characters, and right? So, and it's it's really awesome to know mm-hmm. that they've actually sh- they see what you see in your head to a degree. And there's a lady I know, um, Christine in Bloomington. She's a wonderful lady, and she reads everything I do, and she absolutely just loves Gorez like all, and she just always has her ideas about it. It's great to hear somebody so wonderful that they get it, and they yeah. take it to heart, and they. It's, and it, they can see that in their mind. Sometimes people read too much stuff into it, but um, yeah, I mean, you can do either one. I mean, it's yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's it's a great thing to sign something for somebody and put your name on it and have to see the look in their face. And it's just a, 
I don't know. And it's, you know, and I know I'm no small potatoes. You know, you always got the money shot dreams of having the bigger novels, and I sure got plenty of them ideas I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Use a porno term, the money shot. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, but it's just a thing to, to have somebody get it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it knows you, and what was, um, there's a lady named Jen Spencer um, in uh, Atlanta. She's from like Wyoming or out of the middle of fucking nowhere. Mm-hmm. And she was coming up at a, it was a, about a hundred romance writers and about three horror writers at this thing. And uh, like uh, like Armand, Rosamila and me and um, a bunch of them had come through and she said, she come up at the very end and she's like, I just don't know. She kept wanting to buy one of my books. She just didn't know if she had the money, if she was going to spend it on it. She goes, I'm sorry I missed your read, because I know you could read so good. I'm sorry I missed it. And she goes, but can I have a hug? Aww. So I come around the corner, <laughs> and like I said, remember, I'm about 6'5 and stuff. Yeah. And I grabbed her, and I hugged her, and I grabbed her, held her tight in her ear. I did a verse from a Howard poem. Oh. Where I said, no dreams for me, just roaming free, red wine and battles roar. I'll breast the gales and ride the trails till I can ride no more. Wow. She looked at me and goes, I'll buy it, I'll buy it. <laughs> and I will, never, I will never forget. And then there's a lady sitting next to me goes, boy, you'll do anything for a sale, won't you? <laughs> yeah. But um, I love doing the signings. I love doing conventions. And mm-hmm. well, I love doing readings and stuff like that. So. Where, where exactly is Pontiac, Illinois? I saw that's where you're from. <laughs> Well, we know we're known for our prison riot in the late seventies, and they filmed a very bad movie, Grandview USA, here in the eighties. Uh, uh-huh. We're a hundred miles south of Chicago, uh-huh. about seventy-five miles off of Peoria, and about two hundred miles north of St. Louis. We're well, like out in the middle of nowhere, and we're on I fifty-five or old sixty-six. And- if I, I tell you what, if if you want to look it up sometime, um, you might consider if you're willing to drive that far, um, you might consider looking into going. Uh, going to um, the dark history and horror convention that is in uh, Champaign, Illinois. I'm sure they'd love to have really? you. Really? Yeah. I've I, never heard of it. Um, <laughs> my girlfriend and I are regular. We have a we have a booth there. Uh, this, this is going to be like our, I think, is it going to be our fourth year, hun? I Fourth year, dark history and horror? Yeah. Our four, what our, is that? Uh, it is like, well... Um, there are horror horror authors there, and there's uh, uh, some fantasy authors and 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 science fiction authors and and um, and, and, and and paranormal uh, paranormal uh, folks and everything. And it has a bit of everything that when it comes to you know uh, the you know the kooky and the the sure. the fantasy horror, um, even a bit of sci-fi and that kind of thing. And like we we always need more authors. And well, there's, I'd be more than happy to. I know right where Champagne is. You, you know where Champagne is. Well, I've been there several times. Well, I I tell you what. Um, I will uh, if you want to. I could uh, hook you up with my friend uh, Brian K. Morris. He is a he is a um uh a kind of like a a, a modern day. Uh, he's he's reviving the the pulp the old pulp stuff. And um, yeah. he's one of those new wave pulp authors. And awesome. if you want to, I could put you in contact with him and ha- have you speak with him. So yeah, Certainly. I'd be more than happy to. I don't know when it is and everything, but yeah, give it a shot. Sure. 
That'd be cool. Like I'd I'd, I'd love to see you there and meet you in person. And it's, it's not that far away from me, really. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, we used to stop in Champagne and eat. My father was in the uh, Danville uh, VA when he passed away, and we used to stop and eat in Champagne every way time on the way there. So <laughs> I know exactly where everything is. So Tell him I've been to football games there. So. What? Brian Ward. No. Oh, do you know Brian Ward? By any chance? He runs. He runs the Dark History and Horror Con. He's the one that that runs it. I don't offhand. I don't think that the name that almost sounds familiar. You know, mm-hmm. you know so many people online and don't connect with everybody completely. But I'd be more than happy to look into it. Yeah, th- yeah, that's yeah. Is any place close? Good lord! It's I yeah. I can I can send you some links and and I can put sure. you in touch with uh, Brian K. Morris and everything. So yeah, sure, no problem. Um, now getting back to to. Uh, of your writing, um, what would you would you say would was the most challenging, um, most challenging uh, task you went about, like in in writing that it took you a while to do, and it just just was very challenging for you. Well, I think I wrote I wrote so many short stories, so, um, you know, hundreds of them, I had hundreds of them published in poems as well in the nineties, and uh, I think actually. Crossing that veranda of making the novel real and understanding what it takes to write a full-length novel. I've had, you know, years ago, I've, um, uh, uh, writers actually called them their abortions, where it doesn't work. Uh-huh. They try to write a book that doesn't fly. And I've got about a half a dozen of them that I tried to turn into books and it just doesn't work. And you finally understand A, B, C, D, to E, and it all works a little different after a while, but you understand what you're doing after a while. I mean, you can understand how to write a story or even a long story, but, <laughs> but actually crossing that thing to make it like God Forsaken was my first, I'd say, plausible novel mm-hmm. that I wrote that was a, that was like 2000, you know, I was writing that in the early 2001, 2002, 3, 4, and it could publish for a few more years. But I wrote all kinds of crap the 90s mm-hmm. that was just absolutely it was a good idea but the story just didn't work i think those were king's bachman books you would call them like those four books he wrote that mm-hmm. eventually dressed them up and put them in different suits and they were okay right but i'm not i'm not too worried about that at the moment but i mean it's mean you, you figure out how to tell a story better yeah you figure out how to you figure out your grammar you figure out a b and who should you know what everything should be and that's probably that was a challenging thing as far as that goes. Um, there's certain books that are harder to write than others. Mm. Some of them will just fall out of your head. It mm-hmm. is absolutely, you can't stop them from coming out. And um, there's something that I've just submitted. It's one of the Joel Stewart novels. Um, they're little weird westerns that are published by uh, Head and Necro. And this was the one where Joel's 94. At the very end of that book, talks about my father. And it was like a three-page coda to the book. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the hardest thing I ever had to write because it just was very sad and realizing the pain he went through in his life and the stuff he had to do to live and so everybody else could be okay. And it was just like reliving this and no one else would know what this unless I wrote it. And this sadness and tragedy of it, I was like absolutely almost weeping. You know, big tough guy that I am, here I yeah. am. Yeah shed tears because it was just like and it was true yeah it wasn't it wasn't fiction in yeah my, um 
what was the old theory that uh, writing fiction is easy because it's lies, huh. uh, whereas, yeah. whereas writing nonfiction is a bitch because you got to tell the truth. Well, you put so fiction. That's easy. You're making that shit up. You, you so. put a, you put a bit of 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 of, of re, you put a lot. People put a lot of realism stuff from their lives sure. in fiction. I mean, you can't. Oh, yeah. It just happens. You can't help it. Right, because I wrote the novel years ago, Tormentor, and it uh-huh. was about uh, and it was you know a horror novel and guy from you know National Guard, car bomb in Iraq and stuff and. Yeah, it, it, it's a real tribute to Howard's boxing stories, to be honest with you. Oh yeah. But I, but I remember being interviewed on a, the pot of horror cast years ago, and the host was just cracking up because I was talking about being in actual fights when I was younger, you know, mm-hmm. and you know being mosh pits and stuff, or just stupid or bar fights when you're young and ignorant. Yeah. And I talked about you know how how it feels to hit somebody. People don't know what it's like even to get hit and take a hit. Mm-hmm. And this guy thought I was going to say, "Oh, you just feel terrible when you punch somebody." And I was, and I was saying, "Oh, God, it feels great." <laughs> and I just absolutely laughed his ass off. And I said, "And and the guy in Tormentor was an old was a was a boxer that had failed and everything. And it was the actual physical fights in the book are very detailed because mm-hmm. it was like actually, I don't know how many people that are writers have actually been in a brawl or been punched or had a bone broke or anything, but it's." It ain't all fun, but it's no. just like it's it's an interesting frenzy uh, that goes on. Yeah, and it was just like that was something very, you know, real and me that popped out. And, right. And people have say that if um, like the sexual aspect of the story that I'm telling, or if there's a sex act in it, they're like, "Oh, is that based on this person, this person, or a real experience?" And I said, "Oh, I'll never tell." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not the kind to screw and tell, you know. Yeah. That way. Yeah. But it's just. But we all have things in our life that add to the story to make it better. Sure. Stories you can tell at forty or thirty, forty years old that you couldn't tell when you're twenty. Yeah. And it's just life. You just, just get that experience. And, oh, oh, hell and, yes! And it's just. Uh, and sometimes you become, you know, grim about it. But yeah. You also kind of learn the older you get to laugh at it as well. And and I mean, that, and that's, that's like. That's where writing can be therapeutic. I mean, there can be sure. there can be like things that you're in your life that I mean, just you're like, oh my god, this sucks, you know. And and then sure. you you write about it, and you're like, well, I kind of feel better about that now that I got it right. out, and you know, so. Well, it's the old exercising the demons thing. Yeah, sometimes exactly. it's good to take them out for some exercise. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Stephen, it's been great talking to you. Um, it's been it's been a wonderful conversation. I I, I really enjoyed it. And well, um, have you on. Thanks, I appreciate it. And uh, if if you if you can if you want to um, just go ahead and plug uh, pl- plug away on your on your um, on, on your website and tell tell everybody where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Facebook, of course, and you can find me on find me on Twitter at Shrews. R E H. I don't know why I would ever have that, you know. Oh, I don't, I can't. I can't. R E H. I can't. I can't yeah, imagine. It's true's R E H. Is my Twitter handle, uh-huh. and I'm <laughs> on there talking to you know my friends and Joe Lansdale and different people that I that I know and every once in a while. And uh, I'm on Stephen L. Shrewsbury for Facebook, and I'm always plugging my things. And coming up later this year, I will be at Scares That Care in Virginia. Mm-hmm. The first week in Virginia, I'll be one of the guests there, and I'm more than likely going to be at Imaginarium at Louisville in the first week in October, October like 11th in 
with Seven Star and Steven Zimmer and the guys from there, and they're always awesome. Mm-hmm. So last year I had to cancel, and it just killed me. Oh. So, well, I just had a lot of things happen. It just yeah, it happened. I don't know if Steven knows I'm planning on appearing yet, but I am. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, but that's uh, Curse of the Bastards with me and Brian Keene will be out hardback from uh, Thunderstorm Books and probably from Apex and Paperback following that a year later. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Hell, I don't know. I will, I'm going to have another Gorius the Gaul novel come out from Seven Star eventually, but it's not signed in officially, so I can't mm-hmm. really. It'll be called Reckoning Day, mm-hmm. and it's uh, pretty close to a barbarian romance, if you can imagine <laughs> such a thing. But it's uh, it has an absolute. Uh, someone once told me that it can't be a romance because the people don't end up together in the end, or some tragic happens. And I said, uh, well, there is a love aspect, and for me, it was pretty tragic to write about it. So yeah, it was. It's it's a great story. Yeah, <laughs> Just, sounds you know, demons, like it. monsters, dragons, you know everything. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. So. Cool, very cool. Well, thanks. Well, thanks for having me on and indulging yeah. me. So I do appreciate you. Now, I'm sure to look into the thing in Champagne. That's yeah, I'll great. I'll definitely uh, send you the links and um and well, uh, and uh, you're you're welcome to come back anytime on our show. So well, thank you very much. I, if I have something to plug, like when Curse comes around, I might just take you up on that. So. Okay, awesome. You have a good night, Stephen. You too. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Bye.